Hey, welcome back to By His Grace Marriage Ministry slash podcast. My name is Amanda, and today is episode two. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the foundation of a godly marriage and what is God's natural design and order within marriage and the family unit. So we're going to jump right in. In case you missed it, the first episode, I went over what are the differences between a godly marriage and a marriage that's within the world or a worldly marriage. So if you didn't get a chance to check that out, go ahead and listen to that. That's there as well. But today we're going to go a bit further and we're going to talk more about godly marriage. You know, what does it mean to God and what does it look like in his eyes? And we actually see that God has laid out a blueprint for marriage within the scriptures themselves. So today I'm going to be um, reading from a book. It's a really great book. It's called Marriage God's Way. And it is by Scott LaPierre, L-A-P-I-E-R-R-E. And this is a really fantastic book on marriage. Um, I really, truly feel this author was Holy Spirit um, filled and led when he wrote this book. And it actually has helped me take away a lot um, when it comes to understanding marriage God's way and how God sees it. And it really helped me to connect scripture with it. So I'm going to be using this book for today's episode, and I'm just going to be sharing some things that the author shared to help us understand better um, what does a, a biblical marriage entail? What does it look like? You know, and what is the foundation? So I'm going to start with number one, the foundation, because it's really, really simple. The foundation of a godly marriage is, of course, God. And I've mentioned this in the first episode, you know, the foundation of a biblical marriage is God. God is the foundation. He's at the center of that marriage and he's also covering that marriage. Okay. And when I say cover, it really ties in with what the natural order and design is for a marriage and a family unit. Okay. So before I start reading from the book, I just want to share real quick. When we talk about the natural order of a marriage in a family unit, the way that we see it is it's God first, and then Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. Then next is man, husband, woman, wife, and then the children. Okay, that is God's natural design, his natural order. So we're going to take a look at some scripture here. And... um. We're going to talk about where this is mentioned at, okay? Because I know sometimes people want to know where it's at in Scripture. Absolutely. That's what we want. And that's also a big part of a godly marriage is that God's word is evident in that marriage. And um, that marriage is built off of Scripture and is using Scripture in their everyday life, okay? So when we talk about godly marriage, it's mentioned, of course, um, at the beginning, it's mentioned in Genesis or it's mentioned within the Torah. Torah are the first five books of the Bible. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's Torah. Okay. We see in the very beginning when God established um, the first marriage 
And what he did was he established headship. And this is really, really important. Okay, and then we see Paul reiterate this within the New Testament years and hundreds of years later. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and start reading from the book. Again, I'm reading from Marriage God's Way by Scott LaPierre. I do not own the rights or copyrights or anything like this to this book. I am just using it to help share and encourage others. So twice the Apostle Paul stated the headship of a husband. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 reads, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. We see this again in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, where it reads, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So although these verses are found in the New Testament, a husband's headship did not have its beginning under the New Covenant. Neither does male headship have its beginning in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. It does not even have its beginning at the fall. So male headship actually had its beginning at creation itself. How incredible is that? So this is important because if we think headship began after the fall, then this leadership becomes part of sin's curse. So if we understand that man's headship began at creation, we will see it as part of God's natural, healthy, and divine plan for husbands and wives. So notice there it says divine plan for husbands and wives. That's what makes up a godly marriage, a biblical marriage. So when we look at, you know, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the rest of the chapter gives an overview of all six days of creation. God created man and woman on the sixth day. Then in Genesis chapter 2 verses 7 through 25, God zooms in on the creation of Adam and Eve, since mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. So, How was headship established? Well, it's pretty simple. When God created man first and then woman second, God revealed a number of important details. Okay? So we know that God's first command was that he gave, he gave Adam um, the assignment of being in the garden and tilling it or working in it. Okay? So creating Adam before Eve allowed God to give his first command to Adam alone. Okay? So it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God gave the command to Adam as he stood there alone. Managing the garden was his duty, but when Eve, his wife, was eventually fashioned, he had the responsibility, he referring to Adam, had the responsibility of passing along to his wife what he had learned from God. I'm going to say that again. When his wife was eventually fashioned, Adam had the responsibility of passing along to his wife what he had learned from God. And then his wife had the responsibility of trusting her husband's account. So 
God did not have to do it that way. He could have given the command to both of them after he presented Eve to Adam. But in doing it this way, God established headship in the relationship. Okay? Now, before I move further, I want to I want to add something in here. This is why in today's world and for so many years, we see so many broken marriages, relationships, really marriages, okay? This is why we see broken marriages and broken homes. Why? Because now in days and for the longest time, really ever since feminism came into play, headship has been broken. Women are wanting to dominate their husbands. They're wanting to be independent from their husbands. They're not wanting to submit to their husbands. They're wanting to... um, rule the roost you know they're wanting to take charge they're wanting to say what goes they're wanting to go out and work and you know nowadays we see marriages where husbands are staying home and wives are going out and working right the roles are reversed and this is going to be a separate episode I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about the God-given roles to husband and wife but we see you know like I mentioned in my first episode we now see marriages where it's two men married right or it's two women married there's no distinction it's it's not male and female it's male and male or, or female and female where's the headship there is no headship and what that's doing is it it's creating this domino effect this ungodly domino effect because now not only are you sitting and now you're opening the door to allow the enemy to come into your family and your marriage you're completely out of order it's ungodly and it's sinful in God's eyes. There's a reason why God established that headship. And we see that in the very beginning at creation, not even after the fall, but at creation. How incredible is that? And for any of those who out there think, well, I only follow the New Testament. I don't follow the Old Testament. I don't follow the Torah. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. Well, let me go ahead and correct you with scripture. Because Apostle Paul actually reiterates, he actually reiterates the headship in in marriage, in a godly marriage, in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. Okay? So, and I've already read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Okay. This is Apostle Paul hundreds of years later saying this within the New Testament. And he's not the only one that mentions it. I believe Peter mentions it as well. He talks about the wife submitting to her husband. Okay, so we see this all throughout scripture. God's natural design for the marriage and family unit is God first, then Jesus, Holy Spirit, the husband, the wife, the children, and so on. Okay, God made this very, very clear. But yet nowadays we see that this hardly exists. 
And it almost kind of ties in with the message that I gave in my first episode about what the difference is between a godly marriage and a worldly marriage. Well, there's the other difference. God's natural design is nowhere to be found in a worldly marriage. We don't see that anymore. And sadly, a lot of people will say, oh, that's old fashioned. That was back in the days. We don't need to do that anymore. No, not at all. That's that's not at all true. That's not at all true. So when we look at the foundation of a godly marriage, it's God's word. It's God himself and it's God's word. And he should be at the center of your marriage and he should be at the very top of your marriage. So if you are listening to me and you're a woman and you're a wife-to-be or you are a wife, your order would be your husband, right? then Jesus and then God. If you're a man listening to me and you're a husband-to-be or you're a husband, you know, you, you would submit to God, okay? You would submit to God. You would submit to Jesus and you would submit to God. Husbands should not be submitting to their wives. Wives should not be dominating a husband. Or calling the shots. I'm not saying that wives can't be a part of decisions with their husbands. And I'm going to go further into this in a separate episode when I talk about submission for women. Um, you know, God did create us equal, but we have different roles. And God did not give the headship to women. He gave the headship to the man, to the husband. Okay. All right. So I want to go ahead back to the book. Okay. So I want to go ahead and share this here. So God wanted man to have authority over creation, and he established that that authority by directing Adam to name the animals. Second, instead of simply giving Adam a helper or telling him he should desire one, God chose to reveal this lack to him by bringing the animals to him in pairs. Adam quickly noticed that the animals were in pairs, but he himself was not part of any pair. As Genesis 2.20 describes, he noticed there was no helper comparable to him. Now with Adam longing for a mate, God was ready to fashion Eve. Here again, we see familiarity that may cause us to miss the significance of certain details. So Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Genesis 2 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow. Genesis 2.19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. With this repetition, we would expect to then read, the Lord God formed woman out of the dust of the ground and breathed into her nostrils the breath of life and woman became a living being. But instead, we see in Genesis 2.21-23, it says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he, Lord God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, 
because she was taking, taken out of man. Now we know earlier God brought the animals to Adam to be named, demonstrating Adam's authority over them. Then we see that Adam then named his wife, demonstrating his authority over her. She shall be called woman. This is one more indication of God establishing Adam's headship within the marriage relationship. Okay, so there you go. Now, what's the problem in today's world? Why is it that we don't see that anymore in marriage? Why is it that society has brought it upon themselves to remove that? Why is it that now, you know, the world is is gotten to the point where they are removing God's word from marriages? So, why did God choose to create Eve from Adam's side instead of creating her from the dust of the ground like everything else? God wanted Adam and Eve to understand the unity between them. This is why the next verse, Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this could seem like an odd statement, since Adam and Eve were the only two people in history with no father and mother. Therefore, that verse, that scripture, was not primarily about them, but it was instruction for all future marriages. Okay, it's instruction for all future marriages. So why is it that in our times and for years and years and years, we no longer see that instruction within our marriages? Why has the world removed God's word and instruction and commands out of our marriages? And what are we seeing as a result of that? What are we seeing as a result of that? We're seeing broken homes, broken marriages. We're seeing all kinds of sin within our marriages, within our homes, within our families. And to further go into headship, Genesis 2.24 supports that, supports the headship. You know, why does the command mention a man leaving his father and mother, but not a woman leaving her father and mother? You know, it's because the man is moving out from under his parents' authority and establishing his own headship or authority over his own family. And when a man gets married and has children, he's created his own family. But the woman is not doing the same. She is simply moving from being under her father's authority to now her husband's. Okay? This is why 1 Corinthians 11.3 does not say the head of every man and woman is Christ. Instead, it says the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man. Women remain under a man's authority first, her father's and then her husband's. And these men should be under Christ. Okay? They should be under Christ. Okay? You know, this is why ladies, when you marry, you take your husband's last name. Okay, this is why when you have babies, those babies have their daddy's last name, okay, or their papa's last name, okay? Every family, and you will see this everywhere in scripture, this is how God created it, and this is again part of the headship that was established at creation. Every family is named after the man, 
Every family is named after the man. The, the family is not named after the woman. The woman is not the one that carries the seed. The man carries the seed. God created it this way for a purpose. And this is what a godly marriage is all about. Ask yourself, do we see this in worldly marriages? Do we see this in in marriages where God is not a part of it? We don't. The answer is no, we don't. We don't. Okay? So, what's that called? (laughs) What's that called that what society is doing, why our marriages are crumbling before our very eyes? Well, you know, it's... um, it has to do with, um, let me make sure I pronounce this correctly. It has to do with egalitarianism <laughs> versus complementarianism. <laughs> Those are some big words. Okay. So what is egalitarianism? It is the rejection of the authority that God established between husband and wives, between husbands and wives. This is what we are seeing in today's world. Okay. So egalitarians believe God does not have separate and distinct plans for men and women, but they are interchangeable in terms of their roles and responsibilities. Feminism is a huge example of that, okay? So homosexual marriage, transgenderism, and bisexuality are simply extreme forms of of egalitarianism along again with feminism. Okay, the scripture most cited and most used by eagle by egalitarians is Galatians 3:28, where it says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you for all of you are one in Christ Jesus." So, using that verse to support egalitarianism is taking it out of context because it deals with salvation. Okay, everyone, whether Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male or female is saved in the same manner by grace through faith, apart from the law and works. If Paul were saying men and women are identical in terms of responsibilities, he would be contradicting numerous of scriptures he wrote, outlining the differences between the gender roles. Okay, so this is what we're seeing in today's world. This is the problem. And, you know, for example, feminism, which is a really good example of egalitarianism, um, started, I think, back in, um, gosh, I think the first wave, and I'm going to go over this in another episode, but I think the first wave was like the late uh, 1800s into early 1900s. You know, and that's where we started seeing a lot of examples of egalitarianism, rejecting God's word, rejecting scripture, right, within our marriages and families. And this is why today and for so many years, we see, you know, so much damage and destruction to our marriages and family units. Okay. So complementarianism, on the other hand, teaches that God has separate and distinct responsibilities for men and women that allow them to balance and support each other. Complementarians recognize the gender roles in scripture that are meaningful and when embraced, they promote spiritual and emotional health that allows people to reach their God-given potential, right? Because at the end of the day, every man and every woman has a purpose, Every man and woman has a purpose. 
And most of the time when you are called to marriage, those purposes align with one another. They go hand in hand. You know, God ordained you for your husband or, or, you know, God ordained you for your wife because your purposes that God gave you, your God-given gift or anointing or purpose goes hand in hand with that spouse. That's another great way to, to define a godly marriage. So scripture says that God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis 1:27. We also see it in 5:2, and then Mark 10:6. So the emphasis is not on God's creating people, but on his creating two different types of human, one male and one female, which is why, not to get into it, but why homosexuality is a sin. God never intended male with male or female with female, okay? And especially not in a marriage union. The rest of scripture goes on to reveal the distinct plans God has for each. Although men and women equally share God's image and together have dominion over creation, God designed them differently in order to accomplish his purposes. So a common criticism of complementarianism is that it is chauvinistic and that it identifies one gender as superior to the other. Egalitarians will insist a difference in roles and responsibilities implies a difference in, e- in um, equality. But two people can be different and equal. Men and women can have the same value and significance while not being identical in their roles or responsibilities. So God's very nature supports this and that there are three different persons with distinct roles, but there is still equality. So we should never expect the secular world to agree with God's word and accept complementarianism. The real tragedy, though, is when Christians hold to an egalitarian view, seeing no differences between men and women's roles in the home or the church. Such individuals may not condone such outright sins such as homosexuality or transgenderism, but they will subtly support these agendas as they deny gender roles and undermine God's word. For example, women might want to dominate their husbands, right, and wear the pants in the family and make the decisions and you know, and all those kinds of things. And, you know, the roles are reversed. You know, that's a really good example of that, even among believers, sadly. So men and women were designed to fit perfectly in all ways, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And when a husband and wife become one flesh, on the day that God joins them together, they are two people who complement and complete each other. Together, they become something stronger and more magnificent than they could ever be alone. And the strengths of each compensate for the weakness of the other. So when a husband thinks about his wife, he should see her as God's suitable companion for him. And when a wife thinks about her husband, she should see herself as God's perfect fit for him. And we should give thanks and glory to God for his wonderful design of marriage. We really should. And yet the sad thing is, is that our society, our world has completely destroyed that and removed that altogether. And that's the saddest thing of all. When really we should be giving thanks and glory and praise to God for such a beautiful gift. We really should be. We really, really should be. So that is it for today's episode. Again, we were going over the foundation of a godly marriage, what is the natural design that God has given for marriage? 
So I've left some scripture there for you to look over. We've explained it. We've looked at the wonderful book, Marriage God's Way by Scott uh, Lapierre. And um, I pray that it blesses you. I, I pray that it encourages you. And I pray that it ministers to you. You know, I really feel so strongly in my heart to bring these things back to our society. You know, God wants nothing more than to see marriages, his marriages that he has ordained and the family units to be restored for those that have been broken. He wants to form godly marriages and family units that haven't even been put together yet. You know, I mentioned this in my first episode. One of the first things that Satan attacked was the marriage and family unit. It was one of the first things God created, and it was one of the biggest things that God blessed. And it was one of the first things that Satan attacked. And we see that sad, sad outcome even today, so many years later. Look at what it's doing. Look at what it's doing to our marriages. Look at what it's doing to our homes, our children. And not just now, but for generations to come after that. How many people can say that they can look at their family and they can look all the way back at their great-grandparents and and see how marriages may have been affected or relationships or children and it's being passed down generation to generation. Let's take a stand. Let's make a difference. And let's bring back God's word into our marriages and our families. That's it for today. Thank you all so much. And I will see you all in my next episode. Take care.